You are Locked On Pelicans, your daily podcast on the New Orleans Pelicans, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome to another edition of Locked On Pelicans, the daily podcast covering your favorite team, the New Orleans Pelicans and NBA as a whole, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day, available on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts from. I'm your host, Pelicans Insider, credential member of the media and editor over at LockedOnPelicans.com, Jake Madison at Nola Jake on Twitter here with you all on this Tuesday and oh my god I am already so tired but we got to catch you guys up on a whole lot that happened yesterday with the Anthony Davis saga now entering its second week on Brow Watch do we have an official name for the Anthony Davis trade request and what it's kind of turned into which is again a whole hell of a lot I feel like we need something for that. So you guys let me know on Twitter what you think would be a good one. Again, it's at NolaJake on Twitter. So we are going to recap the Pelicans' loss, yay losses at this point, to the Indiana Pacers Monday night in the Smoothie King Center. Another game where the young guys played really well. I forgot how much fun it is to watch young players just kind of go out there, do their thing, try and improve, grow, and hopefully be a part of the future. Maybe this has been kind of fun. So we're going to recap that game. Then I'm going to break out the insider part that I mentioned in every intro and kind of talk about what I've heard within the organization, how it matches up to the different things you're hearing on Twitter from Woj, from Shams, Ramona Shelbourne, Michael Lee, um, Mark Stein. We can keep kind of going through all the names. There's a whole lot flying along there right now, including that Lakers quote unquote godfather offer, which is not great. Um, so we'll talk about all of that if we have some time and I don't know if we will, so we're going to kind of keep this week a little bit fluid. We will look at some maybe dark horse trade candidates because you have to figure there's other teams coming out of the woodwork. And now that AD's thrown out there a list of preferred destinations, what does that mean? So there's a lot. We're going to kind of be a little bit looser with the podcast today, but we'll get the breaks in. We'll cover everything we need to in today's edition of Locked On Pelicans. So the Pelicans lost to the Indiana Pacers 107-109, and we're going to cover this quickly because you were not here today to hear about the Pelicans lost to the Indiana Pacers, let's be honest. Um, In a game that was closer than it probably should have been, the Pelicans were down 11 in the second half. That's after actually getting out to an 11-0 start and then quickly blowing that lead, and it was basically Drew and the young guys, again, kind of just going out there, having fun, playing basketball, and just kind of being loose and free with a bunch of hungry dudes. And that gets you kind of far, surprisingly. Holiday in this one, 19 points, uh, 9 assists, 11 rebounds, 1 assist shy of a triple-double. He was pretty great other than the shooting, which was a problem for all of the Pelicans in this one. They shot 43.3% from the field, just 23.7% from three-point range. That's going to lead to a loss. Just a little bit better shooting, and they win this game. Um, Also starting Jaleel Okafor, 11 of 16 from the field. He was a big bright spot for the Pels. 25 points, 13 rebounds for him. He's likely going to be the starting center next year. It might be a damn bargain at that with, what, $1.7 million or something like that that he's owed. He's looked great in the now eight starts since Anthony Davis has been out injured. He's going to get the rest of the season to shine. Kenrick Williams went into the starting lineup after having two pretty nice performances off the bench. Came back down to earth in this one. Eight points, eight rebounds. The rebounding's there. The shooting was not. Three of 13 from the field. 
field, just two of eight from deep. He's going to need to score better, but hey, it's just his first start of the year, basically the third game where he's actually getting minutes all season long, so maybe there's some room to grow there. We had a sighting of Ian Clark, actually, um, also continuing the Pelicans' lack of shooting, two of seven from deep, but he finished with 18 points. Chuck Diallo also had 12 off the bench. Pelicans had 16 turnovers compared to just nine for Indiana. That was also a difference in this one. Those unforced errors and then kind of errors inflicted by the Indiana Pacers led to some easy points for them. Again, a tight game. You can't risk having a turnover, too, and when you're throwing out these young guys. Yeah, that's kind of what's going to happen. So the Pelicans lose, increase their potential lottery pick and all of that. So I think that is a good thing for them. Um, and everyone's happy. So it would have been nicer to see maybe a better game from Frank Jackson in this one, by the way, I should mention him. Uh, he was two of seven overall, just five points, only played 23 minutes in this one because of the disappointing night. But again, you see the speed, the athleticism. He looks like he belongs in the NBA. I'm excited just to see him getting starts in what is a lost season. Again, it's fun to see these guys go out, try hard, try and improve their you know growth and play for next season. So there are some bright spots, and they've been competitive in all the games since Anthony Davis made his trade request. Uh, so this is good to see, and I'm excited to see what they do going forward after another close loss. So before we go into everything and catch you up on the Anthony Davis saga, and there was a lot on Monday. This was, again, the second week of the Anthony Davis trade request era. I don't Again, we need an official name of this so that it can just make it easier on me at this point. And a lot happened. And before we do that, though, make sure you guys listen and subscribe to the Locked On NBA podcast. We're going to have a lot of trade deadline coverage on there. You all know I'm there every Wednesday co-hosting with John Corrales of Locked On Celtics. We're going to have a lot of fun. You'll hear Sam Amy on there this week, Ben Golliver on there this week, NBA player Trevor Booker. I think we're trying to get him on Wednesday with John and I this week. It's going to give you a lot of insight that you're not going to get anywhere else. So make sure you listen and subscribe to Locked On NBA. All right, the Anthony Davis saga and what happened on Monday. We're going to catch you up on all of that, what it all means, what I've heard within the organization. Before I jump into all of that, again, disclaimer, take take this with a grain of salt if you want to. I feel confident in it, and I wouldn't be putting it out here otherwise. But if you don't believe me, that's fine. If you do believe me, that's great. Make of it whatever you want. I've been accused before of getting stuff from an organization, putting it out there to kind of influence people through the media and help negotiate through the media. I don't think I'm nearly important enough to do that, to be honest. And it's kind of wild that I've been accused of that before. Because again, if I'm influencing front office decisions by putting things out there on this podcast or on Twitter, everyone should be fired in that organization that's either that's influenced by me. That is horrendously dumb. I've asked front office guys about this before. You know, does when Woj tweets something or Shams tweets something, does it actually influence what you do? The answer is, you know, maybe, but not really. These guys have a lot of intel. They all talk with everyone else in the league. There's ways to get it from that. And a lot of it is just understanding negotiations and where things come from. So again, take from this whatever the hell you want. But again, I feel confident in it. Otherwise, I wouldn't be putting it out there. So that said, let's recap what happened on that day yesterday with everything that happened. And it started with Anthony Davis supposedly putting out there a list of teams that he would be willing to be traded to and that he would sign a long-term extension with, potentially. 
Now, he did not have the Boston Celtics on there. The Lakers were on there. The Clippers were on there. The Knicks were on there. And then out of nowhere was Milwaukee. You've got to also kind of look at a lot here because there's a lot to take away just from that. One is you've got to wonder if he just threw Milwaukee on that list to make a, have a small market team on there and make it seem like it's not just about going to a big market. And I don't actually think this is just about going to a big market to him. I think he looks at these other situations going forward and feels that, hey, they can win more than the Pelicans would be able to do. And he doesn't really care about their previous history because that's in the past. And he's just looking going forward to, for everything. So if you, I think he can still be all about about winning but still put the Knicks on that list because he just feels they're going to win more going forward than the Pelicans are and that's all that matters to him but when you look at this list of teams that he's willing to sign extensions with and there might have been one or two others on there that I'm forgetting off the top of my head and I don't want to try and find it right now um, is that two of those teams can't really put forth a great deal for Anthony Davis. One, that's Milwaukee. You know, their package would be centered around Eric Bledsoe, Chris Middleton, and Malcolm Brogdon, Thon Maker, and some, you know, uh, first-round picks that would be at the bottom of the draft. That's not a very appealing offer, and the Pelicans aren't going to take that, and that's not going to be competitive. So essentially that rules them out. The Clippers don't have anyone they're going to be able to trade. That's kind of that young guy that you think can be an all-NBA player going forward. Maybe uh, Shagilius Alexander, but he's not going to be the centerpiece of that trade. That's not necessarily that guy, and it's still a little too early to tell with that. So that kind of rules the Clippers out too. So when when he's putting these teams out there, it's still the Knicks, and the Lakers, and basically the Knicks aren't going to be able to offer anything until they get the number one overall pick, particularly because they did have a package already centered around Kristaps Porzingis, and the Pelicans said no, and it just leaves the Lakers. Again, we all know where he wants to end up, and he's trying to make it happen sooner rather than later. So when these list of teams come out, it doesn't really mean anything other than they're just trying to show that these other teams that he'd be willing to sign with aren't going to make deals for him. So it's kind of just all for show, particularly, I think, Milwaukee. It's still basically the Lakers or bust at this point for Anthony Davis. And the Pelicans know this, and they also just don't care. They don't care where he gets traded to. They just want to get the best return on him possible. As simple as that, they could send him to the Sacramento Kings if the Kings made the best offer. Simple. That's all there is going to be to this for the Pelicans. They're making the best decision for them. If the Lakers happen to make the best offer, well, then he'll get traded to the Lakers. If they happen to make that offer before the trade deadline on Thursday, then he'll be traded to the Lakers before the trade deadline on Thursday. But here's the thing. The Lakers put out their godfather offer, and I forget who who said this officially. It is most definitely not a godfather offer from the Los Angeles Lakers. The quote-unquote godfather offer includes Brandon Ingram, cool, Kyle Kuzma, cool, Lonzo Ball, cool, two first-round picks, okay, those aren't great first-round picks, so I'm not as excited about those. They'll take on Solomon Hill's contract this year and next year. Eh, I'm not too worried about that because, frankly, he's an expiring deal next year. They're not competing, so don't include a negative asset with a positive one and reduce what you're trying to get back. And then they also included um, Michael Beasley, Rajon Rondo, and I think Lance Stevenson in there. And that's probably just to make salary work. Any godfather offer that includes Rondo and Beasley 
is not a godfather offer. Simple as that. I don't, you're seeing a lot of people say that the Lakers are operating in good faith. No, they're still negotiating. Right now, if you want Anthony Davis, you make your best offer for him. So when that offer comes through and it's not what the Pelicans want, sorry, Lakers, it's not going to happen. At least not just yet. You're going to need to include Brandon Ingram, Kyle Kuzma, Lonzo Ball for sure, but you're also going to need to include Josh Hart. You're probably going to need to include Zubox as well. That's going to be important if they're not doing that because they want to retain some of the core. Well, that's fine. If you want to keep those guys, then you're just not going to get Anthony Davis. So I don't necessarily think it's the Lakers operating in good faith unless they think this is just more of a negotiation than it actually is. And when the Pelicans have a guy who's 25, 26, 27 in Anthony Davis and he's a top five NBA player, yeah, you're, you're, I don't know. You're not going to get him. Like, I, I don't, they have the leverage here. It's weird because simultaneously, I think everyone has leverage and doesn't have leverage at the same time. And it's just kind of a weird situation for every single person to be in. What's going on with the Lakers is what they're going to eventually get to right before the trade deadline and hopefully sooner rather than later because the Pelicans want to take some time thinking about it. Is they do make the actual godfather offer, which is Zubat's. Hart, Ingram, Ball, Kuzma, and two first-round picks. And I think the Pelicans can live without the salary cap relief. Usually you look for all three of those things, young guys, draft picks, and um, salary cap relief in a trade. Here it might not work, but if you need to make the salary work, then cool, you can include him in there. If you want Anthony Davis, that's what it's going to take. And I think what the Lakers might end up doing is putting that offer on the table very soon. And that's kind of what I've been told from L.A., by the way. Um, and then they're going to leave it there and then tell the Pelicans that after the trade deadline passes, if we go into the offseason, it's only going to get worse. And then they run the risk of if teams are scared off from trading for Anthony Davis because they think he's going to be a rental. And I had a podcast last week saying why personally I wouldn't be scared of that because there's a big bluff to call there, but maybe it does scare off a team. Those lit offers are going to be lower. So that means the Lakers offer is eventually going to be lower. And it's basically when you're negotiating, it's called the last best offer. And that'll be on the table right before the trade deadline. Ideally for the, uh, the Lakers and I guess the Pelicans with that kind of big core group of guys, all the young players on that Lakers team that could potentially be good. That's important because, and I agreed with what they were talking about on the jump is, and it's something that kind of gets referenced with the process with Sam Hinkie in Philadelphia. The process was just about accumulating as many assets, total draft picks, young guys that you will hit on some eventually due to the sheer number that you have, not because they're guys you really liked. There's a lot of misses in every draft, in every sport, but if you get, say, seven guys who are going to be young up-and-comers, well, maybe two of them work out, and that's pretty good, and that's why you want all the young guys from the Lakers to maximize the chance that one of these guys does turn out to be an all-NBA guy. So that's where these negotiations stand, with the Lakers hoping that maybe the Pelicans will take their last best offer, and then, you know, or it goes to the trade, uh, past the trade deadline, and the offers from other teams come in lower, and all of a sudden the Lakers are still looking like the best offer out there, but maybe they can pull one of those young guys from it. So that's where things stand. But there's a couple complications that make this really, really interesting. So after the break, and I went a little long in this segment, let's talk about that because it involves the Ball family. And that is a legitimate thing I'm saying here as I record this on Monday night that I was never thinking I was going to be saying in February of 2019. I'll let you guys know what I mean coming right up. 
So before we get to all that, there's likely going to be some other movement out there at the NBA trade deadline. Is Marc Gasol getting moved? Is Mike Conley getting moved? Is anyone from the Washington Wizards getting moved? Is anyone getting fired? Maybe I think that's interesting as well to potentially look at. We're going to have it all covered on the Locked On NBA podcast. So again, make sure you listen and subscribe to Locked On NBA. So all of that seems normal, right? And I can tell you internally that a lot of people in the Pelicans actually like the uh, the young guys from the Lakers, which is what this ultimately comes down to. Which player or which team's young players do you like the most? If you like the ceiling of Ingram, Ball, um, Hart, Kuzma, even though I don't particularly love it. If you like those guys, this is a great trade. That's a lot of young talent coming in that has not even nearly hit their prime or isn't even entering their prime just yet. If you like Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum, that's the offer that you're waiting for. If you just want to go all in for Zion, maybe Kevin Knox and some of those other guys, then yeah, you like that offer the best. That's ultimately what this comes down to. And there's plenty in the Pelicans organization that does like that offer. Their front office is a little split. There's about 10 guys that work in there, all kind of given feedback, including Danny Ferry in his advisor role. But he's also not the, just the only ones making the the selections or, or evaluating the deals here. Del Demps, I mean, it is also Mickey Loomis and it's also Gail Benson. And it's on them to all get together to figure out kind of what is the best direction to go. And they're kind of evaluating where they think the offers will be this summer. But some of them, I'm not going to say who or anything like that, and I don't quite know a lot of the specifics, do like the Lakers' young core and think that's a really good return. And if that godfather offer does come through, the actual one, there will be people pushing for that trade to be done before the NBA trade deadline. Now, it gets a little bit complicated, though, because of one man that should not make it more complicated, but this is kind of what he does, and that is LeVar Ball, Lonzo Ball's father, who does not want his son coming to New Orleans and playing for the Pelicans. He wants the his son to go to the Phoenix Suns now, or maybe another team, he said, too. Basically, where there's no starting point guard, even though we like Drew Holiday off ball here, but... Alfred Payton is maybe scaring him. Uh, Holiday still does do handle a lot of the ball handling duties as well. So he wants him to go to Phoenix, and maybe they can make that happen, maybe not. Here's the thing. There are some people in the Pelicans front office who are not exactly thrilled with the idea of Lonzo Ball coming here, not just because of his father or even really because of his father. It's more they don't want to end up in a situation like another Eric Gordon where you have young guys that are here that don't want to be here, that are very unhappy, that are openly pining to go elsewhere where their hearts are, which apparently just happens to be Phoenix for young guards. They don't want to be in that situation where you can't sell the fan base on these guys that are frowning in their introduction here. You're probably going to get that with anyone here. I love New Orleans because it's got dive bars that don't close. It's got amazing restaurants and it just kind of fits my lifestyle. But I can understand why 22-year-old millionaires or younger don't want to live here and want to live in a big city like LA or New York. There's a reason New Orleans has never been a big destination. I've talked to a number of pro athletes and former pro athletes for the Saints and Pelicans about it. They kind of just want a bigger place that has clubs and other things that they kind of feel is going to be more fun for them to do with their time. They really don't have that here in New Orleans. So if Lonzo Ball's openly trying to get out of New Orleans, they don't want to be in that situation when you're trying to sell fans on a rebuild. That's not a real good marketable guy. 
hey, come see Lonzo Ball, who, by the way, keeps talking to the media about how he doesn't want to be here or his dad doesn't want him to be here. They're not so much worried about LeVar Ball himself, but that situation that he creates. They're, they're fine to deal with him. I can tell you Gail Benson wouldn't exactly be thrilled with that, given kind of what her values are. And Lonzo Ball kind of goes against, I don't know, maybe all of that. But that's why LeVar Ball is a problem, not so much just him, but the situation that it kind of represents and would create here in New Orleans. Now, there's another kink, too, to a trade getting done with the Lakers, even if they do like what the Lakers are offering right now, and it's not a godfather deal, and that's Danny Ainge and the Celtics. These two teams have talked Just because they can't actually make a trade for Anthony Davis right now doesn't mean you can't have one agreed upon, I don't know, in theory, in principle there, and then kind of consummate that trade officially over the summer on July 1, assuming Kyrie opts out and he's no longer, you know, on that that Rose Rule contract there. But that's how much do you trust Danny Ainge? And I think most people around the league would tell you, don't do that. You know, maybe he'll say, yes, I will absolutely give you Jason Tatum, But maybe come July 1 and he realizes the Lakers are offering less than what they were before, he doesn't need to then. And he can kind of hold them out and then those negotiations hit that kind of protracted, elongated situation that we're in right now where it gets kind of ugly through the media back and forth. And maybe he somehow gets scared that Anthony Davis won't resign there. It doesn't sound like that is the case, and that's what I'm hearing as well, is they're calling and telling the Pelicans to wait. They're giving them some general ideas of what they would trade for Anthony Davis, but nothing really concrete, at least yet, because again, things can change in six months, and they don't want to have to kind of look and be that bad guy, it's five months now, if all of a sudden you know something happens. Also, what happens with the injuries, potentially, if, if you, know, you get an injury to Jason Tatum like DeMarcus Cousins did, that changes this entirely, and then the Pelicans lose a lot of leverage in negotiations then, too, if maybe the centerpiece of their trade is now injured, and they don't want to take him here, or it kind of represents a, a less good deal there. So there's a lot of complications and a lot of issues, alongside with the Celtics not really making any specific promises, because again, there's a good way to burn a reputation here. Yes, I'll give you this, this, and this, and it gets leaked, and then you don't do that. That's not the way they want to go. So they're not necessarily giving hard commitments yet. That might change in the future to the Pelicans because they're worried about that. So that's kind of where we stand. And that's why each side has leverage. And at the same time, each side doesn't have leverage. It's really, really weird. And I don't know if we've ever seen anything like this before. Or we'll maybe even see things like this in the future. So I don't know what's going to happen, how this is all going to play out. And of course, as we get to the trade deadline, it's going to get maybe even more confusing or clear itself up. Could kind of go either way. But that's what I've heard from inside the organization. That's kind of what's going on right now. And I don't know how much this negotiating through the media actually matters, but maybe maybe it does. And we'll eventually see when a deal does get done. But teams are talking. And yeah, we're running out of time. So tomorrow we'll look at some dark horse candidates that could maybe get into the race for Anthony Davis, but also why I don't think you'll really see something like that, or at least on a big scale, but hey, all it takes is one team. Uh, So thank you all for listening. As always, I'm your host, Jake Madison, at NolaJake on Twitter. We'll be back with you all tomorrow to talk some more Anthony Davis.